Hello, this is Patrick Ridge with Transamerica, and welcome to another edition of Market Pulse with Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer, Tom Wald. Hey, Tom, welcome back. Thank you, Patrick. Nice to be back. Now, Tom, you've just written a new piece. It's called November Fed Meeting and Recent Market Volatility. Mm-hmm. And in it, you touch on a few recent developments that have been creating a good bit of back and forth in the market environment for both stocks and bonds. Um, you know, just in the past several weeks, we had a surge in long-term interest rates, mm-hmm. then a downward reversal. We've had strong economic data, then slowing data, a correction in stocks, then a rally. It's really been quite a whirlwind. So, mm-hmm. so I guess my first question is this. In this type of environment, how do investors make sense of everything? Good, good, good question, Patrick. And, and I guess you could say when it comes to the markets, part of making sense of everything is recognizing that at any one given time, everything might not make a lot of sense. Yeah, that's <laughs> well said. So do you care to take, care to elaborate a bit on that? Yes. Uh, simply put, uh, at any particular time in the markets, th- there will be differing opinions interpretations and conclusions, call them market cross currents uh, swirling about. Uh, Sometimes they just sort of coexist. And at other times, they they come at each other with a good bit of force and sort of uh, create a a mini tornado, if you will. Mm -hmm. And and I think these past few months have been more of the latter. And within those competing forces, when when one school of thought gains an upper hand uh, on the others, the the market reaction can be swift and, and of magnitude. It, I think that may have been the case in what you cited was the market's reaction to the recent Federal Reserve meeting. Mm-hmm. And I'll quote you directly mm-hmm. here in the in the Fed's lack of hawkishness was interpreted as dovish. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, I think the market was sort of fearing and expecting an, an incremental or, or additional level of hawkishness in both tone and language at this past uh, November Fed meeting, uh, which conceivably could have set the stage for another rate hike at the next upcoming December meeting. And that's not what happened. It was pretty much the same as September, and the market's thinking probably was that if another rate hike really was on the table for the upcoming December meeting, uh, Chair Powell and his colleagues would have ratcheted up the tone on commentary to reflect that. Uh, And they did. So it it was kind of like a a boulder being pushed up the hill by the markets. Mm -hmm. It needed a final push from the Fed to roll down on the other side. And that didn't happen. So it rolled back down the side it was being pushed up. Sometimes market gravity does funny things. That's interesting. Now, Tom, this is also related to the slope of the yield curve which we talked a lot about in our last conversation Mm -hmm. is also part of those swirling cross currents you just Mm -hmm. mentioned, correct? Yes, Patrick. Uh, From about mid-July through the end of October, we saw a major upward move in long-term interest rates as reflected in a rise in the 10-year Treasury rate from 3.75% on July 19th to a closing yield of 4.98% exactly three months later on October 19th. Uh, That is a substantial move and one that was uh, very painful for both uh, stock and bond markets. Now, there were a lot of reasons given by market pundits for this move, including stronger than anticipated economic data during that time frame and additional bond issuance by the government. Valid points, of course, but What I think was really driving longer term interest rates higher more than anything else was the disinversion of the yield curve. In other words, the process of the currently inverted yield curve 
beginning to normalize back to an upward slope. Okay. Now, Tom, we've talked about this before, but perhaps you could give our listeners a quick background on the, the concept and history of inverted yield curves, um, a market condition we're in right now, and why the market is focused so much at the moment as to how long it'll last. Uh, sh- sure. Since October 2022, more than a year now, uh, the bond market has been in an inverted yield curve, meaning that short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. Uh, this is an anomalous market condition that has only occurred eight times in the last 54 years and is widely interpreted to be a warning sign of an upcoming recession. Now, history tells us a few things about inverted yield curves. First is they typically don't last very long. Of those previous eight inverted yield curves since 1969, defined as a higher yield in the three-month Treasury bill rate versus the 10-year Treasury bond yield, on average, those inverted yield curves were in existence for nine months with a range of five to 17 months. And this current inverted yield curve is now in its 14th month. So not outside the realm, but but pushing the envelope a bit now. And in addition, the history of those eight prior inverted curves are that they inverted prior to recession and returned to an upward slope during or just before recessions. So I think the market is sort of on edge right now as to when this current uh, inverted curve will return to an upward slope. Now, now Patrick, here's where it gets kind of interesting. Uh, There are three ways in which a yield curve can reverse itself from inverted to upward sloping. One, short-term rates come down. Two, long-term rates go up. Three, some combination of the two. And back in September, when it appeared as though the Fed finally convinced the markets that they were uh, really going to implement a higher for longer short-term rate environment, uh, that left the market much more open to the probability of this current inverted curve resolving itself less from short-term rates coming down and more from long-term rates going up. And that, to me, Patrick, is the predominant reason why we saw the big jump in the 10-year yield and other longer-term rates during the end of September and most of October. And rising longer-term interest rates typically, at least in the short term, can create pain for stocks, and they definitionally and mathematically create pain for bonds. And did this change following the recent Fed meeting? Well, I'm not sure it completely changed, but the path of longer term rates certainly took a detour and provided some relief to the markets after the Fed's November 1st meeting. And I think what the market gravitated to was that the Fed is really unlikely from here on out to raise rates further. So rates may be higher for longer, but not as high in absolute terms as many had feared and I think the markets also are coming to terms with the prospect of the economy slowing in the months ahead. And all else being equal, that will usually pressure longer term rates uh, lower as well. Mm -hmm. So you've had a bit of those competing cross currents uh, I mentioned a moment ago, creating a back and forth. But I think it still nets out with longer term interest rates, those 10 years or longer, uh, moving up over the next six months to a year. Okay. And that touches on another important point you highlight in the article, which is, and again, I'm going to read it directly, further economic slowing could be on the horizon. Now, we've had some pretty strong economic data of late, but you think that could be ready to turn? That's right, Patrick. 
we had a very strong summer and early autumn uh, for the economy, perhaps best exemplified in, in red hot GDP growth in the third quarter, uh, okay. which, according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, first advanced estimate uh, came at an annualized rate of 4.9 percent, the highest since the fourth quarter of 2021, uh, when we were still pulling out of the pandemic. But it would be my judgment that softening economic data could soon uh, be coming to the forefront and that this recently completed third quarter GDP report it could be a high watermark for this cycle. Patrick, I, I really think that potentially driven by the increasing impacts of previous Fed rate hikes, the higher long term rates we just mentioned ultimately spilling over into the credit mortgage markets, depleting levels of consumer savings, mounting credit card debt and the resumption of student loan payment requirements. Early indications are that economic growth uh, could begin to slow considerably or potentially uh, even turn negative in this current fourth quarter and or uh, the early months of uh, 2024. Okay. And just to add a couple of emerging uh, data points to that, early tracking estimates for fourth quarter GDP uh, coming from the Atlanta Fed, Moody's and now casting, albeit only about a one month of results, but still are running at only about 1% growth so far for this fourth quarter. And also the, the October non-farms payroll report released by the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics on November 3rd displayed 150,000 new jobs added to the economy, which was below expectations, and also contained 101,000 of downward job revisions for the months of August and September, thereby you know, further inferring slowing in the labor market. Uh, unemployment also ticked up to 3.9%, representing its highest level since uh, January 2022. So we would view this report as potentially indicative of employment as a lagging economic indicator, perhaps now reflecting a slowing trend uh, and also now supporting uh, the end of the Fed's uh, rate hike tighten cycle. Okay. Now, you do have a fairly encouraging outlook on inflation, given some of the recent trends. Uh, th th that's right. I think inflation continues to move in the right direction. Uh, most recently, we saw the Fed's preferred metric, personal consumption expenditures uh, or PCE core inflation, uh, come in for the month of September at a year-over-year -year headline rate of 3.7%, its lowest uh, since May of 2021. Uh, and this comes on the heels of Consumer Price Index, or CPI core inflation, for September, uh, coming in year over year at 4.1%, its lowest rate in two years. Now, as we said before, uh, the downward pay path on inflation uh, is not always linear, and, and we do expect fits and starts along the way. But given where we were last year, 5.4% uh, on core PCE and 6.6% on core CPI, I think this continues to be a pretty encouraging trend and supports the notion the Fed could be finished uh, raising rates at this point. Uh, and big picture, we continue to expect uh, core rates of inflation to decline toward the 3% level into 2024. Okay. So, Tom, to summarize here, what would you say are the key takeaways of this past up and down month or so? Yeah, yeah. A, a few things. First, I think the Fed is probably done at this point, and we are unlikely to see any further rate hikes from here on out. Okay. Second, I think the yield curve does continue to normalize from an inverted to an upward slope, and that could put uh, some pressure on longer term rates during 2024. 
third, we think the economy does soften in the months ahead and a shallow to moderate recession is likely during the first half of 2024. Uh, that said, we think it will have a, a nominal impact on the markets, given how widely anticipated a slowdown has been. Uh, and that, that could pave the way for rate cuts in the second half of next year. Uh, and fourth, uh, while it, it may not be entirely smooth sailing month to month, inflation is on the right track and heading toward uh, core rates in the 3% range. Uh, and this further supports uh, the Fed concluding its tightening cycle. And can you give us a quick assessment on portfolio positioning? Yes. Given this overall backdrop, uh, we believe opportunities remain for investors looking to 2024 and beyond. In particular, uh, we are sticking with our year-end 2023 price target of 4,600 on the S&P 500 and would favor growth stocks as this asset class should benefit from a scarcity of growth factor evident in economic slowdowns as well as tailwind catalysts of declining inflation and the end of the Fed's tightening cycle. We also see intermediate term investment grade and high yield bonds as opportunistic uh, given yields now at or close to multi-year highs amidst what we believe will ultimately prove to be a, a relatively benign credit environment. So there you have it. Uh, thank you for that overview, Tom. Um, I do also want to say that our next conversation will be one of our marquee episodes of Market Pulse, in that it'll feature Tom's 2024 market outlook. In this, he'll cover his outlook for the economy, stocks, bonds, interest rates, international markets, and in doing so, as I like to say, he pretty much leaves no stone unturned as to what investors need to know for the year ahead. It's a discussion you will not want to miss. So on that note, Tom, thanks for being with us today. And we will very much look forward to that upcoming conversation. Thank you, Patrick. I'll look forward to it as well. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be appropriate for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Indexes are unmanaged and an investor cannot invest directly in an index. The information included in the podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Inc. and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate. Are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Growth stocks typically are particularly sensitive to market movements and may involve larger price swings because their market prices tend to reflect future expectations. Growth stocks as a group may be out of favor and underperform the overall equity market for a long period of time, for example, while the market favors value stocks. Value investing carries the risk that the market will not recognize a security's intrinsic value for a long time or that an undervalued stock is actually appropriately priced. Investments in global-slash-international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. 
Transamerica Asset Management Inc. TAM, is an SEC-registered investment advisor that provides asset management, fund administration, and shareholder services for institutional and retail clients. The funds advised and sponsored by TAM include Transamerica Funds and Transamerica Series Trust. Transamerica Funds and Transamerica Series Trust are distributed by Transamerica Capital Inc. TCI, member FINRA. TAM is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Aegon NV, an international life insurance, pension, and asset management company. 3219120